Welcome to the Social Media Marketing Podcast, helping you navigate the social media jungle. And now, here's your host, Michael Stelzner. Hello, hello, hello. Thank you so much for joining me for the Social Media Marketing Podcast, brought to you by socialmediaexaminer.com. I'm your host, Michael Stelzner, and this is the podcast for marketers and business owners who want to know what works with social media. Today's show is sponsored by Social Media Marketing World 2017, our mega conference coming in about a month. Yep, it's coming. Are you coming? I am super excited about today's show. I'm going to be joined by Amy Schmidtauer, and we're going to explore video blogging how it can help your business, and what you need to know to get started. By the way, need to reach me? Email me, podcast at socialmediaexaminer.com. Let's transition over to this week's brand new discovery. Helping you stay alive in a social jungle, here's this week's survival tip. This week, I'm joined by Eric Fisher with a brand new discovery. What'd you find, Eric? I found a really cool app that lets you consume text content in audio form on the go. It's called Naro. Uh, how do you spell that? N-A-R-R-O. It's almost like narrow without the W on the end of it. Yeah, it is kind of like that. And and so the cool thing about this is, you know, I tried this out. I've been trying this out for a couple weeks now. And what it does is you can use uh, a bookmarklet or a browser extension or their iOS and Android apps to throw... Uh, text articles into your queue, you select either a standard automated, uh, you know, it's not robotic, but it's uh, text to speech. So, you know, and it reads it and it con- it converts it into an MP3 file. And so it kind of turns it into your own personalized podcast feed how does from it, all how the does articles. It sound? It sounds pretty stinking cool. Like I've got mine set on a kind of British voice that sounds just like this. And he reads my articles to me as this. I've gone ahead to their website. I'm going to hit the play button. Let's see what happens. Once upon a time, there was Alice, an avid reader. Every day, she found many, many lovely pieces of writing online. Across the internet, she found stories and advice and instruction of all types. Huh. That's not that bad. And you can change voices, huh? Yeah, and you can even change the speed up a little bit too. So there's there's a number of male and female voices, and you can alter like the default speeds. So you could speed it up. So once in a while, yeah, it sounds slightly robotic or off uh, the way they read it. But if you speed it up just slightly, it sounds more natural. So. Interesting, interesting. So how do you get the how do you get the text into this thing? So what you do again? There's a uh, there's a Android app and an iOS app that you can share to, as well as a Chrome extension or a bookmarklet for your other browsers. And then say you're on a site like ours and you really want to, you don't have time to read today's article. You would either click the Chrome extension or you know click the bookmarklet, and it would scan that article's text, convert it into an audio file, put it into your personal um, feed. And then if you subscribe to that feed, uh, I, I do mine in, uh, one of our other previous discovery, uh, apps, uh, overcast for the iPhone. And it just shows up there within a few minutes or so. Wow. Very cool. So, uh, talk to us about, uh, where we find it, what its pricing model is and so on and so forth. 
All right. So where you can find it is naro.co. That's N-A-R-R-O dot C-O. And it is free and so are the apps. Huh. Wow. That's really cool. So for those of you that want to read but don't have time to read, this sounds like a great way to get some sort of an article into an audio form and consume it at your leisure when you're in the shower, when you're on the road, when you're walking the dog. And uh, sounds like an awesome service. Thank you so much for finding that and bringing it to us, Eric. You're welcome. Are you thinking about Social Media Marketing World 2017 coming up March 22nd, 23rd, and 24th? If you are, grab your ticket because it's coming. But if you want to go and you just know you can't afford to hop on an airplane, can't afford to stay in a hotel, there's an option. And it's called the virtual ticket. With the virtual ticket, you get access to almost 140 of all the training sessions, keynotes, workshops, panels, everything that we produce at Social Media Examiner for a fraction of what it costs to attend in the flesh. I think you should check it out. Thousands of people are checking it out. As a matter of fact, well over a thousand have already purchased the virtual ticket. You can check it out by doing these three steps. First, visit socialmediaworld17.com. And when you go there, you'll see a little sidebar that says virtual ticket. Secondly, study the agenda. Ask yourself whether or not this content is something that will help your business and realize you're going to have over a year to consume that content. Last thing is to make the decision, make the purchase and decide to invest in a virtual ticket or a physical ticket. Simply visit socialmediaworld17.com. Well, let's now transition over to this week's interview with Amy Schmittauer. Helping you simplify your social safari, here's this week's expert guide. This week, I'm super excited to be joined by Amy Schmittauer. If you don't know who Amy is, she's an online video expert. She founded Vlog Boss Studios and regularly produces awesome content for her YouTube channel, Savvy Sexy Social. She's also the author of the brand new book, Vlog Like a Boss, How to Kill It Online with Video Blogging. Amy, welcome to the show. Hey, Mike. How are you? It's so good to be back. Well, I am super excited to have you back. And today, you and I are going to explore video blogging, what you need to know to regular, regularly produce quality content, and a lot more. Um, so, Amy, I want to start with the, the word vlogging. Not everybody is going to even understand what that means. So maybe mm-hmm. you could like define it and then we'll go from there. Absolutely. So for those of you who think it sounds familiar, it absolutely does because it's just kind of building off of the word blog, which we're all very familiar with at this point. I remember when it was almost not even acceptable for a company to have a blog and now everyone's got to have a blog. But as we know, most of us, the blog is simply uh, sort of from the origin of what a weblog is, essentially just chronological updated content on a website. And so a vlog is simply a video form of that. So a vlog can be any Anything that you might do in a blog post, but simply in video form. That's how I define it. There's a lot of different things you can do. It could be a tutorial. It could be sharing a story from your life. It could be a lot of different things, but it's just simply called a vlog. And, you know, some people call it video blog, right? Which is, mm-hmm. which is just those two things squished together. Now, if you think about what a blog is, it's consistently producing content. So, I would imagine there also has to, with a vlog, there has to be some normal frequency. Is that correct? In order for it to be a vlog? 
Yeah. I mean, in theory, that would be, that would be best. I think if you post just one vlog here and there, you probably won't gain as much traction. Just like with anything else, there needs to definitely be some visibility and therefore consistency in it. And most vlogs that tend to do well are ones that at least have a regular schedule, no matter what that is. Yes. Consistency is definitely a part of a uh, part of the equation here. So, um, presumably we're talking about YouTube here. And, um, mm -hmm. I guess the real question is, what different what differentiates a vlog from the way everybody else kind of uses YouTube? Maybe you could talk about like here's the way many marketers and business owners use YouTube and maybe there's a better way to use it. Sure. Well, like I said, with a vlog being just like a blog, but in video form, whatever you would share in a blog is essentially value that you're creating in order for yourself to get a little bit of attention, right? And we have this amazing luxury of YouTube being search and social and content all in the same place, which is so exciting. But a vlog can literally be anything that's meant for you to be discovered. And the whole point of you being discovered is that you may or may not be known yet. So you're not going to post a video and call it a vlog if it's, say, a commercial for your product or if it's an introduction to your company because it wouldn't necessarily be something that people are searching for because maybe they don't know the name of your company. They might be searching for your type of organization, but they're more likely searching for a concern that they have or something that you specialize in the answer to a question. So as you're thinking about what your potential customer or audience member might be thinking about, that's the type of content that you would put in a vlog. And that's what you could post on YouTube. YouTube isn't the only place for vlogging. As a matter of fact, I actually think some of the uh, apps on our phone that are video and social like Snapchat and Instagram are really great places to start a vlog. But um, it's just like micro content, something that you could post on a blog if you can do it even more seamlessly and more quickly and shorter in an app that could be a vlog as well. But the point is that you're sharing content that people would want to know about whether or not they know who you are. That's the key thing. The shareability there is it's something somebody would want whether you made it or not. Um, I, I think it'd be wise at this point for you to just tell people a little bit about how you do your vlog just so they can draw a mental picture in their brain. Cause I know you have, you know, a schedule and all that kind of stuff just mm -hmm. so people can understand like how they might do something like this. Sure. So when I started Savvy Sexy Social, it was when I was just getting started as a social media marketer and I wanted to attract an audience who needed help in this area. And I thought the best way that I can get attention on my company for people to potentially want to hire me is to teach them how to do this stuff on social media, but have fun while we're at it. So my vlog essentially had to be informative, but I wanted people to not feel like it was so much of a chore. And that was sort of the promise that I made with my vlog. And I set a schedule of three days a week. And in order for me to sustain the business by me doing my own mark content marketing, as well as helping my clients, I would schedule one day a week and film three videos. And those would get edited and scheduled to go out the rest of the week. And I would sit in front of a bookshelf and I would basically pick three different topics to discuss for the week, whether it was a, an app that I liked for scheduling or you know a product that was great or just a general social media tip. I would deliver each of those in three different videos. 
and then I would get that content ready to to be delivered. You didn't have to know who I was. You just had to have one of those things I made a video about be a question on your mind. Um, one really popular one that I did was a hack to make your tweets a little bit longer that I thought nobody really knows what this is yet, so I'm going to make a video about it. And that way, if you saw the headline and you thought, I want to make my tweets a little bit longer. You'd want to watch the video, which would introduce you to me. And all I had to do was sit in front of my bookshelf, say, hey, how's it going? Here's what we're talking about today. Deliver value, give you something actionable right away that was going to get you results. And then say, by the way, I'm Amy. Hope you can subscribe and stay tuned. And that was essentially how I did my vlog for a really long time. I got up to probably 600 episodes on that model. And in the last year, I've been having a little bit more fun because I've grown a community of people that kind of want to get to know me a little bit more personally. So for instance, for all of January, I documented the journey to launching a book. And that was more of a life casting vlog. I'm going to teach you something. You're going to learn something new every day, but I'm going to show it to you in the form of what my day looks like instead of sitting in front of a bookshelf and telling you what it is. And so there's a lot of different ways you can deliver it. Um, the show not tell model is definitely something in 2017 that is really powerful, but you can do any of those things. I think the, the point is you can always have your call to action at the end. Maybe your call to action is to buy the product. Maybe your call to action is for someone to join your email list or follow you somewhere. But the majority of that video is going to simply deliver value. And that's what makes it a vlog. And that will absolutely be powerful on YouTube, which is the second largest search engine in the world. And people are searching there all day long. Excellent. Thank you so much for sharing that. Um, mm -hmm. And for anybody who uh, missed the last time Amy was on my show, we actually talked about how she made a review of Adobe Spark, I think it was when it first came out. Mm -hmm. and That's right. How it got kind of picked up in the YouTube search engines and went crazy viral. We'll definitely link to that in the show notes. Um, okay. So a lot of people were like listening intently to your story and they were saying to themselves, hmm, it sounds intriguing to me, but I'm not sure... I'm funny, like Amy can be. I'm not sure I have what it takes. Um, what do you want to say to them? Well, I would say that the most important thing, no matter what medium you are looking at, it could be a written blog, it could be a photo blog, it could be a vlog, any of those things, before you do them, your message has to be strong. Because even if you're sitting in front of the lens of a camera, that may feel really intense for someone. But for someone else, it may feel really intense to sit down with a blank page and a blog post. That's what it feels like for me. Talking to a camera is a little bit more, more easy for me. But the only reason why that's the case is because I've had a lot of practice. And so I would genuinely say before you get started, know what your message is and know what it is that you need to deliver so that you can go into your content creation feeling really strong on that subject matter. But if you're going to have what it takes, quote unquote, for video, that's simply going to take practice and focus. And when I say focus, I mean thinking about the camera like it's a person, not like it's a camera, because it simply is a vehicle delivering the message to a person. So when you look at a camera like it's a person, you're much better on camera immediately. Most people are not doing that. They're thinking one of two things. One, they're sitting in a room alone talking to a camera, which most of us would chalk up to being a little weird and you would feel silly. <laughs> or two, you're talking to thousands or millions of people, which is also highly unnatural and might 
get in your head a little bit and then you're not going to be good on camera then either. But if you were simply looking at a camera like it's Mike and Mike needed this message and you just say, hey, by the way, and then tell him and then say, make so sure you subscribe. Be so yourself is what I hear you saying, yeah. right? Sit down for coffee with your audience member. Just use the camera as the table you're sitting at. It's almost like those TV shows where um, these reality shows where they give someone a little camera and then at night they're like giving their own little diary. You know what I yeah. mean? And they're talking to themselves. And um, let me ask you this. Do you have to be an extrovert? Because a lot of people feel like if I'm going to get on camera, I, I got to be an extrovert and I'm an introvert. Does this make sense? Um, you know, what's your thoughts? I actually think it's it's easier for an introvert to be good on camera. I say that because I'm an introvert. You absolutely don't have to be. I had no idea. Seriously. Absolutely. But here's the thing. I've always been introverted. I've never been a ham. My mom can't find any pictures of me as a child because I throw them all away. You don't have to be an extrovert. You simply have to sort of respect the message that you're delivering and that's it. I actually find it fascinating that I got started as a speaker because people saw me on video and said, oh wow, you're so good as a communicator on video. You must be good at standing on stage and talking to 100 people. And I thought, you're crazy. I sat in a room by myself and talked to a camera and you think I can stand on stage and talk to a bunch of people? It's not the same thing at, at all. And I think for an introvert, just generally being around people in a big environment feels somewhat like being on stage speaking to people. So no, you don't absolutely don't have to be an extrovert. And um, I think what I've done that makes people think I'm an extrovert is I simply respect the audience. So I need my time to just sort of be introverted and sort of recharge. But that's after I've done my job on camera and delivered the message as strongly as I can, or if I'm out at a networking event and I'm being as present as I can be in that moment so that I can be the best version of me while I'm there. I just know that I need to respect that I'm an introvert and kind of go home and like chill out and not talk to anybody for a little while after. So what I hear you saying is if you can talk, then you can do video. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> and if most of us can talk. <laughs> conversation with somebody about what you do and how you can help them, you can absolutely make video. All right. So um, we know that anyone can do this and we know what vlogging is. So the natural next question is, which I'm sure a lot of people are thinking about right now is, well, what's the return on it? Like, how could it help my business? How could it help my personal brand? How could it help, you know, um, what can I expect? And I know, I know that you could respond and say, well, it's highly variable, but any kind of context for people that want to know what they could expect based on your experience, um, you know, talk to us. So I, this is a really good question because I, I prefer this question over what do you do when you're really struggling to grow at the beginning? I, the problem I have with that question is that they're not thinking about ROI. They're not thinking about the goals that they're setting in order to do this marketing medium, in order to go after this, in order to get some sort of client return or customer return. You have to set those goals. And a lot of people keep their eyes on sort of these vanity metrics such as followers, likes, subscribers, and things like that. If that's not going to move the needle for you, then why measure it? But what you do need to do is measure what actually matters. And if what matters is clients, then how many clients do you need in order for this to be worth it? How many hours is it taking you? I uh, really had an easy time at the beginning of my YouTube channel because I wasn't focused on how many people were following, but I was focused on how much business am I getting because of this. And the only way that that was going to happen is if I made the video, 
I taught someone something that was valuable to them and I used my network and leveraged my network in order to get that message out there. And because of that and sending the message to someone and saying, hey, if you know anyone that would find this tip useful, could you just share this video with them? That direct referral brought me more clients than really a lot of other things that I've done because someone directly referred me by word of mouth and the video did the job to prove I could do it. A lot of people don't get outside of the concept of growing with these vanity numbers to measure success because they don't take all of those other steps that you can in order to let this video work for you. So I think it has a lot to do with goal setting. What needs to happen for this to be worth it? How much time can you give to it for it to be something you can sort of allow for now until you start to see return? And when do you have to reassess? Setting those milestones, setting those those goals is really, really important. Um, I also think the ROI conversation is tough for people because I hate to say it, but they tend to get a little lazy about the fact that they can measure these things. You know, don't just post a link somewhere, post a trackable link, you know, see if there's actually a conversion from that video, see if there's traffic from that video, leverage the opportunity to get traffic from YouTube, not just to a video, but after someone watches the video, they should take a next step with you. Are they taking a next step? Why aren't they? If they're watching it, what should they be doing next? Are you not asking for that relative, uh, natural next step that they would take after watching that piece of content. Are you getting lazy and saying, join my newsletter? Your newsletter is only as exciting as you make it sound. But if there's something cool that has to go with your newsletter that would make somebody want to be on it, say that. And hopefully it has something to do with the content that you've just presented them for free. I think the ROI conversation has a lot to do with a little bit of laziness and tracking, but most importantly, people don't have their goals set. And if you don't have that, then you'll never be able to measure ROI. Um, taking the stance that, <coughs> excuse me, a lot of our listeners probably um, are going to be starting from scratch here that are thinking about this. Um, what happens when you start getting subscribers on YouTube that consistently watch your videos? Like, um, what's the benefit of that? What was the benefit of that in the early days for you? Because I don't think every, I, I think a lot of people are probably going to start because they want to just do it, you know, and 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 it's just another marketing vehicle for them. And while they're listening to everything that you said about um, how you should have goals and stuff like that, what are kind of some of the unexpected consequences or benefits of consistently feeding your audience this valuable content via video? What what are some of the things that happen to you? Well, what's interesting is that as as you grow, YouTube wants to set you up for success. So the reason why having subscribers is important isn't just for the metric, it's because of the momentum. So once I post a video, because I have a certain number of people that have notifications or have me in their subscription feed, they're going to watch that video. And that beginning momentum of a video is really, really important for it to be successful for your channel and for search on YouTube. So that's really important. A lot of people don't think about that going into getting started because if you don't have subscribers, you're pretty good at assuming what's going to happen. No one's going to watch it unless you share it in other places. But that's even more important for you to leverage those other places. So what I did notice is 
once you start to be consistent on YouTube and you start to prove that you can start sessions, which is really big, YouTube wants to know that you can bring people to their platform, get them to start on your on watching on their platform, and then they'll stay there. On average, on mobile, people are staying on YouTube for 40 minutes. So if you can start that session, you're a powerful channel to YouTube and that makes them want to send more people to you. But if you only post a video here and there and it's a little bit inconsistent, then you're going to have the consequence of having to really kind of maybe start from scratch every time you go back because it's not been consistent how much traffic you're bringing. Your growth is not consistent. Sort of your view time, your watch time and your view count are not kind of increasing regularly. And that's why consistency is so important. So that's why if I say when you go to YouTube, really start with intention and start with a plan because simply uploading a video whenever you have something and using it as sort of like the video dumping zone is not going to be good for you in terms of what you need to do to show YouTube what you have the ability to do to grow so that they will start to bring you traffic from other places. So that's, that's, I think. I have another thought. I have another, I have another thought here too. I have another thought here and it's going to be a little more, a little less about the macro number of subscribers and a little more about the comments and the fact that maybe uh, Jack or Sue consistently comment on your videos, tell you that they love your videos, give you suggestions on how to make them better. And maybe Jack or Sue eventually go to their communities and say, hey, check out what Amy's doing. And I would imagine this kind of what I'm going to call community development component, which is Mm -hmm. more about the one-to-one stuff or the, the one being the, the commenter and, and, you know, and that video working to many ones, one at a time might have some significant benefits for you and for your business down the road. Did you find that? And do you find that happening? Absolutely. And that's a really brilliant point because I think it's very similar to what we can say we see on Facebook. When we log into Facebook, and a lot of us are very familiar with that. We see a lot of the same people and brands and usually the ones that we've engaged with the most. So likes and comments and things like that. YouTube, of course, wants you to get subscribers because they want you to build a channel and have you know more traffic building into have watch time on their platform. But what's cool is that someone may not even realize they're not subscribed to me. It's kind of cool. Not that cool. They may not even know they're not subscribed to me because if they watch a lot of my stuff, they like, they comment, we're starting to build a relationship here and they love what I'm doing. They're sharing with their community. They'll come back to YouTube homepage. And these days, if whoever you're watching and commenting with, it's all you can see on the front page because YouTube is trying to customize that envir- environment for you to be the most happy, to give them the most ad revenue. And that benefits you, right? Because most, maybe they'll come to you someday when they need to hire somebody, right? Absolutely. And in every video, I remind people, hey, make sure that you're subscribed. And if someone looks up and goes, oh, that's so weird. I'm not subscribed because she's all over my homepage. It's a, it's totally a possibility. But YouTube is, is definitely looking out for you when it comes to getting you more watch time. If someone watches one of your videos, you are very likely to show up in their future on YouTube, whether it's immediately after or the next time they come to the platform. So not being there is a huge missed opportunity. Most of the time, if you really go look at YouTube now, you'll probably see a creator you've watched, a video either you've watched a few times and they will say, hey, you wanna watch this again? 
or it'll be stuff you've never seen because they're trying to do a really good job of delivering what you haven't watched yet. So you always have something interesting to go. They love it when you rewatch stuff, but they will definitely deliver what you haven't seen yet, even if it's years old. I see people's videos pop up all the time and I'm like, oh, they dyed their hair. And I'm like, no, that was two years ago. And that's a testament to the fact that you are building an archive on YouTube. How many platforms do you know right now where a video that is two to maybe even five years old could still be working for you today? A lot of this stuff is dying really quickly. And actually, people are bragging about the fact that their content dies so quickly. YouTube doesn't do that. YouTube will have a a video work for you for years if it performs well. One of my most popular videos is from four years ago, and it's still bringing in Buku traffic every month. Okay. um, Let's talk about some examples that the audience, um, you know, maybe other than you, you know, people that are, that are vlogging and like what they're vlogging about, just so people can understand the variety of types of things that they could be, you know, doing their vlogs on. I think it goes back to sort of talking about this show, show and tell, you know, you have value to deliver. You, you might be struggling with how exactly you're going to do that, but you can at least show the environment that's around you. And I think that's why social media has obviously taken, um, such a, a huge role in marketing over the last number of years is because we suddenly got to see what people were up to. And as a matter of fact, I think, one of, uh, what was Twitter's original question in their tweet box? It was like, what's happening? And you were just meant to say, you know, what you're up to. And that was, that's the power of digital media is just showing people something that they may not have known you were doing or known you were up to with video. You get to do that with all the senses. So some of the most powerful video that we're seeing today is really people taking the camera with them, which is more possible than ever because anybody you can think, I mean, like I want to actually give people a chance to go and look up a couple people. So maybe there's a couple couple of examples that you can like uh, talk about maybe some real people and what they're doing. Sure. So I, I mean, I, I have a few people that I think of, they're very business oriented because I watch a lot of business content. I think Gary Vaynerchuk is doing a fantastic job of this. And and Mike, you know, Gary really well. What he caught on to was his friend Casey Neistat, who was really just vlogging his life. That's another fine example to look at, although he's not daily vlogging anymore, just every now and again, they're just documenting their life and making it interesting. And that's what's powerful. When you can take something that seems mundane and seems just basic and, and, and who cares about this and make it worth a story. That's when content gets really interesting. Gary's doing a great job of this because people were really underestimating what it takes to be really good in business. And he's showing you every moment of his day on his daily vlog, which is essentially life casting, but really just his business, not so much. Yeah, his and let's, let's just pause for a second and, and, and confess that Gary has a full-time camera guy with him around sure, the clock yes, absolutely. who's capturing and editing the whole thing and making a story out of it, which is probably outside of the realm of a lot of people that are starting. But, but it just goes to show you that you can do that. And um, what about something that's maybe not so high profile? Um, you know, any thoughts on what others are doing? Maybe there's just a couple of the favorite channels that you watch or a couple of friends from the YouTube community that might not be so, you know, high profile. And, and Casey nice, Casey does crazy stuff too, right? So like the stuff yeah. he does, you pretty much hardly anybody else can do it. <laughs> yeah, know? absolutely. And I mean, and keep that in mind that, I mean, Gary has someone on staff 
Casey was doing everything on his own, but he's also a filmmaker. But a lot of sort of like these average vloggers that have been around forever, Casey's done us a nice solid by actually making this video or this word a little bit more mainstream. Uh, but there have been people around forever that have been doing this very basically with a basic camera carrying it around. Um, Justine's Eric is a really good example. I Justine, she'll do both. She will shoot. She'll take the camera around with you uh, to show show you her life, but she'll also just bake something in the kitchen and set the camera up that way. And she just makes any and all of that interesting, funny, and entertaining to watch. And because of that, she sort of built some some thought leadership. I love that example. I Justine is amazing. And mm-hmm. um, I, my guess is that for those that haven't seen her, she she's funny. Um, but I, my guess is in the early days, she just took a camera with her wherever she went so she could capture little moments and then sew it all together. Is that kind of how it was? Do you know? Absolutely. And what's even crazier is that Justine actually became really popular right when Twitter was coming out because she live streamed her entire life. So if you can think about that, that was a long time ago and she was live streaming. She was like, had a live stream camera on in her apartment all day long just to try to do this crazy thing on the internet at that time. And, um, she started that way, but yeah, she, she's been vlogging. She's a veteran of YouTube and has been doing it for a really long time. She's very fun to watch because if you really break down what's happening in her video, it's really not that big a deal, but she makes it fun to watch. Yeah. And then, you know, you have people like, um, uh, Steve Dotto, uh, who is doing very simple like product reviews, you know, where he's, yeah. where he's just capturing a screen every week and showing, you know, in his own kind of folksy way, what he thinks about the software. And because he knows people are searching for reviews on software. So um, and I would imagine there's other other people that are doing crazy stuff. Like I think there's a guy that uh, used to be a bartender and he's showing people how to make mixed drinks. And I can't remember. Absolutely. What, can't, and I have. Um, I don't know who that is, but I have some friends in the tech review space that they simply, you know, will get the latest tech and they will talk about it and they will review it. And so that's really interesting because a lot of people will go to YouTube to see a hands-on of a new, a new phone or a new device. And so that makes for a really interesting channel as well. Cause then you're sort of building yourself up as, as a tech expert simply by holding a camera in your hand and talking about what you like and don't like about it. And if you're a video gamer, oh my gosh, right? I mean, like Mm. Minecrafters and stuff, there's huge channels of people showing like kids how to create Minecraft things or, you know, cheats for video games. I mean, like the good news is you don't have to have your face on the camera, right? I mean, you can just have your voice and you can show stuff. Um, I think of all these unboxing videos, right? Like when people do these reviews on these new products that come out and they actually literally show the box arriving and they make a little story Mm -hmm. about it. I don't know why those are so popular, but they totally are, aren't they? There is, yeah, there's actually one of the most, one of the most subscribed channels I think out there just recently released the real identities of the family behind it. And it's, it's just a toy unboxing channel and it's just a kid unboxing toys. And it has become so popular and so many people watch it that, you know, everyone got to quit their jobs and just make money with YouTube. And this kid just gets to open, open toys. And that's, you know, he's, he makes the content. And so it's really interesting what you can do, especially if you have a product, but it's not always about the product. It's about the story. 
Yeah, Steve Spangler's another one. Six Science mm-hmm. is, is he puts out a little like one minute science experiment, and then he always asks a question at the end about like what do you think is the reason why the science experiment did this? There, mm-hmm. There's just you know almost anything you can think of, and it's and 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 it sounds like the appetite for YouTube is huge. And by the way, what is the demographic? Because I think people might want to know. You know, what's the, it's quite different than Facebook, isn't it? On YouTube as a whole, yes. Oh my gosh, it's it's anyone you can think of. Because I think if you if you really think about YouTube, it's the second largest search engine, and so somebody could be coming to YouTube from Google. And I think we know a lot of people, ages and 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 male, female, and all, everywhere all over the world are using Google. So the demo on YouTube is a, is a vast. It's, it's the whole variety. world, right? Oh my God, I want to say it's the whole world, but I, that sounds like a terrible answer. But that's pretty much what it is. It's but let's let's be clear: um, the younger kids like under 20 watch YouTube more than they watch television, right? Right. And it, what's funny about that is that people use YouTube, I think, for intentional searches. And so let's say, you know, um, maybe not millennial, but maybe a little bit older. A lot of people think YouTube is dying. But meanwhile, their kids are watching it, even though these other apps are starting to take over. YouTube just has such a variety of content over so many years that the the young kids are still watching it avidly. So, yeah, it's it's there's a lot of young people watching, but there's also a lot of people using it just for just fundamental purposes and for research. And so it's just a lot of uh, the demographic I don't think can really be defined. It just depends on the channel. Okay. So uh, a lot of people right now are probably like, okay, I, I could see that just about anything that I have a passion about or that I'm an expert in could be fair game for creating videos on YouTube. I would like to just in the next few minutes, um, spatter out a couple of different types of content because just like with blogging, you know, you have to think about kind of categories upon which you're going to create these different kinds of content. If you could give a, a simple framework of here's a couple of beginning types of things you might want. Once you picked your topic, you know, like mm-hmm. who knows, let's say it's uh, let's say it's hot air balloons. You know, once you pick your topic, then how do you know what like kinds of videos you should create? You know, maybe you could throw out a couple of different ideas or maybe tell us the kinds of videos you create so that they can get some ideas. Well, if we're going to use hot air balloon, that's interesting. I feel like my mind goes in a couple of different ways for that because you're trying to attract a customer, right? You just want someone to, to like take a ride on the hot air balloon, but they may or may not know that they want to yet, but they might be thinking about choosing the city that you're in to go on a destination vacation or something like that. So maybe you talk about something, things that are relevant to that city. You could talk about what's happening, events in the city or cool touristy things to do in the city that include or are not including you. Um, and it, it could be something like that. It also could, sim- it could be science. You could talk about the science behind it and all the different things that go into that. Um, I, what about what about behind the scenes? What about format. behind the scenes stuff? Behind too? the scenes, absolutely. I like think here's how the hot air balloon are... gets packaged on the back of the truck once yeah. the thing landed, right? Because we have some that land right near my yard, and it's pretty crazy, actually. Yeah, and I think some people are probably like, oh, I don't know if I would ever want to ride a hot air balloon. So you might want to show them some things that might break down some fears. So there's that. I mean, think about behind the scenes for sure is a really good one. But just think about all the things happening in and around what you do and how someone might happenstance upon what you do and might want to engage in, in 
in riding a hot air balloon or engaging your business, whatever that business is, buying the product. How how are they going to end up there? Another example that I like to give is a, a real estate agent. A lot of times real estate agents want to talk about their properties that they're selling, but that's simply focusing on the product. Instead, why don't you think about what's happening in the neighborhood that you specialize in or what's happening with the school system? Or maybe you're just talking about attractions that are in the city so that you're an expert on the city as a whole. So that if someone says, oh my gosh, I just found this really cool video about this great thing to do in Seattle. And it was by this guy and he's a realtor. That's so funny because we might get relocated to Seattle. So we should call him to see if we can find a house. You have to think bigger than your product. Product, hmm. And there's a number of different formats that you can do. I like that a lot. Um, you do, you still do well. Okay. When you're not doing this, this, this getting ready for the launch of your book, mm-hmm. can you tell you, you produce three, three videos a week. Can you tell people the difference between each one of those three videos? Cause I think people might find that instrumental. Sure. And that's been a little bit in uh, in flux lately, just because I've been sort of offering this sort of personal side versus uh, just standard, hey, I'm giving you a tip today. So it's uh, once we come out of this launch period, it's a couple of behind the scenes type, follow me around. This is, this is what's happening and here's what you can learn from it. And then one standard like, hey, today we're talking about, I'll stand in front of my bookshelf and maybe I'll do a tutorial or I will do a product review or or something like that. So changing it up so that you still get your standard formal video and then also seeing, you know, what life is like for me, but also how you can learn from it as you watch. Awesome. Well, folks, um, there is so much more to vlogging, like deciding what kind of equipment you want to use to get started and digging in on all the things we've talked about in a lot more detail, which Amy does cover in her brand new book, vlog like a boss. Amy, why don't you tell everyone where they can find the book and if they want to get in touch with you, where they can discover more about you. Absolutely. Just check out vloglikeaboss.com and I'd love it if you'd pick up my first book, but there's some really great bonuses there that might help make you uh, want to get it even more. So just vloglikeaboss.com. Amy Schmidtauer, thank you so much for joining me on this week's episode. Thank you, Mike. Well, I hope you found a lot of value in today's interview. We take all the notes for you. So if there's anything you just didn't catch, visit socialmediaexaminer.com slash 238. Also, don't ever miss a future episode of this podcast. Hit that subscribe button on your podcast player. We've got an awesome lineup of shows coming. Last thing, social media marketing world. Thinking of coming, thinking about getting a virtual ticket, visit socialmediaworld17.com. There you will discover everything you need to know about the event. This brings us to the end of yet another episode of the Social Media Marketing Podcast. I'm your host, Michael Stelzner. I'll be back with you in the driver's seat next week. I hope you make the absolute best out of your day. And may social media continue to change your world. The Social Media Marketing Podcast is a production of Social Media Examiner.